Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Now this guy, I've actually watched a couple of his videos before or seen videos that he's been included on. Uh, and I, I actually quite like him. I like the way he presents himself and conducts himself. And uh, uh, it, it's not the, the normal... Um, theistic blather that you you, you see uh, hold up hold up hold up hold up whoa 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 not the normal theistic blather <laughs> you hear that atheists this guy thinks i'm not saying the same stuff over and over again these ones are quite honest and oh and he's honest or these questions are honest thank you man on the right i like the man on the left and the man on the right Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and I'm so glad that you're here. And today is going to be the first in a series in which I'm going to be responding to um, some answers that I received from atheists and a few others, some other non-theists, who responded to a video I made called 10 Questions for Atheists. That, uh, that video is linked in the description, so you can go check that out as well as the links to the full videos from all the individuals who I'm going to be responding to today. Now, this was actually a very interesting uh, experiment for me. I'd never done a list of questions for atheists before, and uh, there were some good things about it, some, some encouragement. There were some people who took it very seriously and thought, hey, I think this guy is really trying to uh, be genuine and, and get genuine answers here, and we're going to see that as we move forward. Um, but then there were others who tried to read between the lines in some very uh, uncharitable ways. I know what you're really asking, Braxton. You're really trying to say all atheists are X, Y, and Z, when all I'm doing is answering, answering questions. Uh, I, was, I found it kind of funny to see people who made videos, um, so-and-so is going to destroy, or uh, tweets, I guess, and responses from people about videos saying, so-and-so destroyed Braxton's questions for atheists. And I thought, that's odd, isn't it? Destroy? Questions? Questions are questions. They're not attacks. They're not arguments. They're meant to invite your answers. So if you feel like you really killed it in your answers, fantastic. I wanted to hear your answers. So I think the vitriol that can exist on both sides is just uh, embarrassing and, and unnecessary. But in this video, we're going to go through um, some of those responses to question number one. And we're going to make individual videos responding to each of the questions uh, that I asked and what atheists had to say. There was a lot of response. There were dozens and dozens of responses in the um, in the comments section of the video itself, and then several video responses, and those are primarily what we're going to respond to here. Um, but I, I just one thing that I did note is there's a clear difference between, and I don't mean this to be in any way insulting, uh, and I'm not saying that just to kind of so that I can say something insulting. Uh, but there is a very clear difference between how people that I would consider a part of the new atheist movement um, in the tradition of, say, Dawkins and Hitchens, um, the way they answer things, the, 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 the obvious YouTube style atheism that has existed now for years versus people who are people, <laughs> knowledgeable people, but 
just people not trying to start a fight, not trying to engage in a fight, just having a conversation. And I think that comes out very clearly in uh, in the spread that we have today, because we have some on both sides of that. One of the things that I've noticed that I'm going to point out again and again throughout this series, it happens at least once today, uh, but it happens throughout the series, is exemplified by a comment from a commenter on the video from someone named Ashley. And Ashley says in response to question number one, atheism is the lack of belief or disbelief in a God or gods. That's all it is. Atheism itself doesn't deal with free will, origins of the universe, or anything else. Now, I'm going to play a clip in a moment uh, that's going to include my question number one, in case you haven't heard it in all of its glory. But you'll see that in that um, question, I said, I understand that many of you want to say atheism is not a worldview, but I'm talking about your worldview, your worldview, if it includes atheism. So I'm asking about people's individual worldviews of which atheism is a part. So I'm asking atheists about their individual worldviews that include atheism. The, the thing that I think is interesting about this comment, and, and we see it again and again throughout this series, or we will see, is that um, that's very obviously there in, in, the, uh, in the question. In fact, some of the people we're going to respond to today pointed it out. But what it reveals is, and this can happen on both sides, I recognize that, but it obviously is there among the new atheist types, uh, the new atheist YouTuber types, that there... That, they have a, a list of responses that have been memorized. These are things that, that they get from people like Matt Dillahunty and, and Christopher Hitchens and others. They have these responses that uh, they're ready to throw at you. And if you say something that knocks them off of and I, gosh, I know this sounds insulting, but if you say something that knocks them off of that script, they just don't, they don't know where to go. They don't have anything else to say. That's why oftentimes in, you know, the comment section to videos like mine, the videos that I make, that's, that's what you get is a regurgitation of the very things that you just responded to or just clarified in the video itself. And so in a case like this person, and I don't know this person, uh, maybe they weren't listening that closely, but I've said, I realize that atheism, according to you, is not a worldview. So I'm saying your worldview that includes atheism and, and it's like a person is like, I, I don't, that's not in my script. That's not in my list of pre-approved things that Christian apologists are supposed to say. So I don't really know what to do, but you said something that triggers this response that I've memorized. Atheism is just a lack of belief. Atheism is not a worldview. It's, 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 it's not like that. It doesn't deal with free will and origin and all those other things. Um, and I, I think we see that quite a bit. So I just want to point out that it's best if you actually try to answer the questions and don't go to your go-to trigger responses. That's usually a good way to have a good conversation. Now, um, I can't help one thing about this. In this uh, video, you're going to see me ask the same question a number of times because some of the um, YouTubers who responded included uh, my, my video, like they played it and paused it and responded and played it and paused it and responded. So I really can't do much about that, but, um, I'm, I'm uh, not all of them did, but I, I'm glad that, that some of them did because it, it allows you to hear at least once very clearly at the beginning, um, the question as I pose it. So without much further ado, we're going to jump into this and we're going to start with now, again, I've got, I've got, I've got response videos here from, um, all kinds of atheists. So if you don't like the first one, uh, don't get too upset. If you do like the first one, 
Uh, they're not all like that. But the first one is from Godless Engineer. And so I'm going to play this one from Godless Engineer and, uh, and, and I'll, I'll jump in and make comments as need be. What facts about reality that you and I agree are real facts about the way the world is does your worldview account for, but my Christianity doesn't account for, or at least doesn't account for well? Everything. I feel like the basis for every single explanation that a religion can give you for anything about this reality, it all boils down to God did it. Okay, now we're going to go on with uh, Godless Engineer in just a second, but I, I just want to say something here early on, and that is that, because this is going to come up with several of the videos, typically the ones from the more new atheist type perspective. And that is, they'll, they'll say, when I ask this question, They'll say everything, everything, uh, you know, here's, here's what I'm getting at with question number one, just to unpack it a little more. And I, I think I did this in the video, but in case I didn't, I, I've done it elsewhere, but I'm going to do it here. Basically, what we're trying to do here is worldview analysis, and it's based on abductive reasoning. Um, in terms of apologetic methodologies, this is what's known as the cumulative case approach. Now, there are various approaches to Christian apologetics. There's classical apologetics, which takes a two-step approach, first showing that God exists, then showing that God raised Jesus from the dead. There's evidential apologetics. That's just God raised Jesus from the dead. Both of those are sometimes called evidential apologetics, but that's there's a difference, classical, evidential. There's presuppositional apologetics. There's reformed epistemology. One of the uh, methods methodologies that is not often represented represented is cumulative case apologetics. Now, in a sense, what someone like William Lane Craig does, where he presents several arguments in a debate, say, and a case for the resurrection, is, in a sense, cumulative case apologetics because he presents a cumulative case. But cumulative case as a methodology in and of itself is a little bit different. And cumulative case apologetics is um, a methodology where the point of that methodology is to... Um, is to just list a number of things. We're not making big, robust arguments. This is We're not trying to get to a slam-dunk conclusion. What we're doing instead is we're throwing out data points that you and the person of the other worldview agree about, and then you're trying to figure out which of our two worldviews makes the best sense of these various data points. That's what we're trying to do. So, um, so you know, a Christian might say some things like I said in in my uh, in, in the question, like um, uh, the fact that... Um, universally people seem to report uh, supernatural experiences or experiences of God. Now, uh, obviously the atheist doesn't have to believe that they're really having experiences of God, but they agree that a fact about the world is that many people report such things. The rapid expansion of the early church, um, uh, near-death experiences, um, uh, the experience or, the, or the, the, the sense that we have free will, the sense that we have strong, a strong, uh, you know, sort of intuitive morality. All, all of these kind of things are things that you might throw into this. And, and, and you're not saying, uh, let's build an argument and defend that to the hilt, which is what I typically do. Instead, what you're doing with, with cumulative, you're just throwing things out and you're saying, which worldview, yours or mine? We both agree this is a fact about the world. Which worldview, yours or mine, makes the best sense out of this? Seems to match the largest number of these data points the best. That's all we're doing. And that's very important to get to, to understand what we're, what we're doing here. So, he, so, I, so I'm saying uh, that, that um, 
What does your worldview account for better than my Christianity? Give me a fact that we both agree is a fact about the way the world is, and let's see which one accounts for that fact better, your worldview or my worldview. And he says everything. In other words, my worldview accounts for every one of these, all things better than your worldview or something like that. Now, this brings up what I call the star check um, test, not Star Trek, Star Check. I've never said it like this, but I, I'm trademarking that. The Star Check uh, test for when you're talking about uh, responses from atheists or Christians. And that is when you present a perspective, when you present an argument or a question or a way of assessing things or, 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 or something like that, and you, you ask what the opponent thinks about that, and they respond with something like, it's all junk, it's all garbage, get it all out of it, none of it's good, it's not good at all. When you get those kind of responses, um, I compare that to looking at the, the stars, the number of stars in a review for a product, say a book, on Amazon. On Amazon, if uh, what I do when I go to look at the reviews for a book or any product is I, I pretty much disregard the one-star reviews. And sometimes the five-star reviews. Now, I would love it if you would give my books five-star reviews. That's not what I'm saying. Um, if that's the way you feel, then please do it. It helps me out a lot. Um, but I pretty much disregard the five-star reviews and the one-star reviews. Why? Because I consider that the people that are giving the five-star reviews are so in love with this author or this book that, I mean, it, there could have been a major problem in it and they're not going to see it or they're going to look past it because that's their guy. That's their lady. They're into that author. They are sold. Um, that's, I mean, they just love it, right? That, so th this is a extremely biased perspective. Um, on the other hand, the one-star reviews is the alternative. They they have big problems with this author. They can't stand this author, or they can't stand the, the the position that this author takes. And so that author could say something really insightful and really helpful, and they wouldn't see it because they just it's all terrible, it's all junk. So the the reviews that I think are helpful are the two-star to four-star reviews. That's that's how I look at things. There are uh, anomalies, right? Sometimes a book is a masterpiece and it deserves five stars. Sometimes a book is terrible and it deserves less than one star. I get that that's there. But generally speaking, that's a way of doing it. So I call this the star check test. Unless what, you're, unless what someone presents is absolute, I mean, just everyone involved can see on all sides, this is garbage, uh, an argument or, an, or, a, or a presentation. If the person, in this case, godless engineer, and there are others, says, I'm giving this basically a one-star review, and I'd give it less if I could. This is trash. Everything you are giving me is garbage. Everything my side has is the best. Um, you're sending a signal here. You're giving me a one-star review. You're telling me, and not me in this case, all of Christian thought. And what you're telling me is you're, you're saying I, you're communicating to me and to the listener. It's counterproductive whether the skeptic sees it or not. And when Christians do it, whether the Christian sees it or not, you're, what you're saying to me is you're saying, I am so incredibly biased on this that maybe you shouldn't take my criticism here as seriously as you would other criticisms. Now, I say that as a person who likes Godless Engineer, but on his last video to me, he threw some punches, so maybe I'm throwing a punch here. But I think that's an important thing in these dialogues. If you are a person out there, and there are several on this list who say this, that they really want to um, foster a good conversation, a better conversation between theists and non-theists, then that's that star check is something that I think you need to check yourself with, that you need to consider when you're making these response videos. Someone might say, well, yeah, but Braxton, do you do that? Aren't you a person who gives 
atheism uh, one star and wish you could give it less stars. No, I'm not. I've said many times on this channel and on our podcast that I think that atheists have at least a couple of really good persuasive, good in the sense that they're persuasive um, arguments in their favor. One of those is an evidential probabilistic argument from evil, if it's done right. Um, I think another one of those are certain uh, iterations of the uh, of, of, of a hiddenness argument. I think that those are pretty powerful. They're persuasive. They're, they, 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 they beg to be listened to. And I tell Christians all the time that they should not be dismissive of these arguments, that they should uh, not just respond with glib certainty, that these arguments respond a fair deal of work. And, and you have to work at a good response to them. So, you know, I think... Um, these are things that I wish that uh, people like this would take into account. All right, so let's consider and go further. It's not really an explanation of anything. It doesn't tell me like how rain works or how lightning works or even how the universe began to exist. It doesn't tell me exactly how that happened or how that works. It Okay, now what we need to understand here is he's asking a different question. We're asking which, uh, so we've got a fact here, and, and he hasn't listed one, but if we take a, a fact, well, rain, for example, rain, um, that's a fact about the world. Uh, can atheism account for that fact? Atheism can, can account for that fact by pointing to our scientific understanding of nature and, and how rain happens and clouds and all that sort of thing. Can Christianity account for that? Sure, they can account for it by pointing to our scientific understanding of the world and, and rain and clouds and how all that works. That's not a point for you. It's not a point for me. It's just a point. Christianity can account for rain. Uh, but what he's doing in general is he's he's saying Christianity doesn't account for these, these things well because you're not explaining it how it works to me. That's not the point. The point is, is there something, is there a fact that your worldview accounts for that my worldview doesn't account for as well as your atheism? That's the important feature. Uh, for example, uh, my car working, okay, Th that my car, that I turn the engine on on my car and it works. We could have one hypothesis, we could have one explanatory hypothesis that there is a car dealer, a car factory that makes cars and that explains it. We could have another, uh, and, and this, this car, let's say, it looks like a particular style of car, let's say a Mustang. Okay. Now, another person could come up with uh, a hypothesis that says, well, actually, um, uh, it's, it's not really a Mustang, but I, I have a friend who uh, took metal and hammered it out into roughly the shape of a Mustang and, 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 and created that car and, and, and built that car. Okay. Now, which one of those hypotheses, hypotheses are both, are more, is more likely? Both of those account for it. Which one of it accounts for it better? Which one seems to match reality? Well, the idea that this car that really looks like a Mustang in every way um, came from, you know, a, a factory that makes Mustangs, right? That, that accounts for that better. Yeah, but it doesn't explain how Mustangs work, right? That's kind of a separate question. It's tangentially related and it could be related. It could be important, but it's not necessarily. I don't know. I don't have any idea. Real Well, I, don't have, I have some idea. I know how combustion works. And I know those kind of things, but I don't really know how my car works. I'm not a mechanic. I don't understand how everything about cars, but I can still use my car. Right. So um, the, the idea that, well, you're not explaining how God did all of the particular things that you're saying he did. 
um, okay, that's not really what we're talking about. We're looking for a fact about the way the world is that my worldview doesn't account for as well as your worldview does. And by the way, going forward, this is going to come up that um, everyone's worldview can account for these things. The question is, which one accounts for these things better? So, for example, the biggest three questions, the most important three questions, I think, are where did we come from? What's the purpose of life if there is one? And what happens when we die? Those questions approximate for you basically what a person's worldview generally is. You'll know whether they're a Muslim or a Christian or a, a, an atheist or whatever. It approximates it. How do we get here? What's the meaning of life if there is one? And what happens when we die? I have no doubt atheists can answer that question. Muslims can answer. Hindus can answer. Buddhists can answer. This question is not about what can Christians answer that you can't answer, that your worldview can't answer. It's which answer uh, makes the best sense of the way the world is. Which one, which worldview accounts for that, answers that the best in that way. That's important. Let's go. It's just a catch-all explanation that doesn't really explain anything. And for those of you that would point out atheism isn't a worldview, I'm talking about you, your worldview that includes atheism. I can't think of any. Christianity accounts for evil, suffering, the existence of other religions, including supernatural events in those other religions, science, and differences among different denominations of Christianity. Yeah, and your explanation ultimately would boil down to God did it. No matter which way you go with your explanation there, Braxton, you don't really have an explanation for anything using God. But I can think of why. Why is that? Why I, I realize what he's saying. It's, it's kind of like I used to say about Star Wars. If anyone ever found a plot hole, I'd say, well, I realize that that seems bizarre, but it's the force. The force is the answer to that question. So, you know, you could say about he's saying that you could say about any particular mystery or any particular difficulty or any particular quandary. Well, God, God's the answer, but that's not how we function at all. As we're going to see moving forward, I did say that Christianity accounts for suffering and evil, uh, pain, those kind of things. But one could press back and say, no, your worldview doesn't account for that as well as a naturalistic one. And then we would have a conversation. Uh, there are features to the Christian God. There are features to the God of theism, as it's typically presented by um, uh Abrahamic apologist, at least there are features to this God. And that means that you could presumably in principle show things that don't make sense. In fact, we're going to see other people here in this list that do. And when you don't present things that you think sit poorly with the Christian God's existence um, and, and you're not giving me anything else, then what you're, then that seems like a tacit concession. Yeah. I don't know of anything that Christianity doesn't account for. But you can't just say Christianity accounts for everything because it's like a stopgap, as one person's going to say, or it's magic or something. No, you can, in principle, show these things. You're just not. That's very telling, isn't it? Many things that the most common worldviews that include atheism don't answer as well as I think Christianity does. Like universal supernatural claims, universal religious experiences. So the existence of the supernatural is kind of a complicated uh, topic, but it can really be boiled down into the fact that there's no evidence that suggests that a supernatural exists. Like, for instance, if you claimed that a statue started crying and it, these were the holy tears of, you know, the Virgin Mary, then that's a very specific claim that I can investigate and determine whether or not it's actually supernatural. 
Unluckily for the people in India that had this particular thing happen to them, it was not in fact supernatural, but toilet water. Some of the people were collecting those tears and drinking it because it supposedly had magical powers or something. You claim that this is something that a worldview primarily based on atheism can't explain, but yet nearly all supernatural claims of the past have been debunked or disproven to be supernatural in nature. The inst Okay, now hold on just a second. This this is really interesting because if you want to talk about like a, a tactic or something, uh, he explains how one case of an alleged supernatural event that was debunked and a really poor one, like yeah, if something weird is coming out of a statue and you start drinking that, um, don't be surprised if it turns out that was something, you know, toilet water that, that you took one really, you know, silly explanation of something being debunked and then used that to catapult over literally the claims of every civilization and most individuals throughout the entirety of world history who have claimed supernatural events. Then he, then John, you make the bombastic claim that quote, nearly all supernatural claims of the past have been debunked or disproven to be supernatural in nature. Wow. Atheists must have gotten darn close to actual omniscience to have accomplished such a feat. Uh, that's, that's amazing. I, I just, uh, the, the, I mean, John is really good at that. John's really good at rhetoric. It's not that he never has substance. I'm not saying that, John, but he's really good at rhetoric. There are some guys out there who have no ability with rhetoric. They have substance. But they have no rhetoric. It's hard to get a hearing that way. John's got a big YouTube channel, and it's partly because he's interesting to listen to. Uh, that's for sure. Let's let's keep going with what he has to say. This is where we cannot directly explain why something happens with natural causes doesn't mean that God is the ultimate answer for those particular instances. No, we're not saying that. We're not saying, look, here's the thing. I'm saying that the vast majority of the history of like the every civilization and most uh, and well, let's let's just say much uh, many of the individuals, the vast majority of the individuals in the history of the world have believed in some sort of a supernatural and have some kind of experience of that claim to have had some kind of experience of that. What makes best sense of that? That, that? These people thought they all encountered a God. What, what makes the best sense of the fact that they all thought they encountered the supernatural, the fact that they were all wrong. They might've been, I'm not saying they, they weren't, but that they were all wrong or that they had some sort of a supernatural experience. What, what fits better when we're talking about such a number of people and such a span of civilizations. And you trot out one example of some people who saw toilet water come out of a statue and it was debunked. And, and that shows, I, mean, I know you're not saying that shows that all the others, you're giving that as a test example that others are like that. But, but what matches better the fact that most of humanity for the history of the world has believed in and, and claimed to have experienced supernatural things and encountered God? That they were all just wrong and atheism's true or, and naturalism, or that, no, they thought they had supernatural ex experiences because many of them did. They thought they encountered some God or gods because many of them did. Um, many of them uh, could have been wrong. Let's say half. Let's say all but one. 
<laughs> right? The, the fact is that, that it, what makes better sense of this is that the supernatural is real. I'm not saying that proves it. And that's an important thing here. Atheists hear you saying, huh, what makes better sense out of these facts? And they, oh, but you didn't prove it. You didn't give me a slam dunk. You didn't show me Cartesian certainty about this. Yeah, we're just talking about facts, man. What fits the facts better? And what fits the facts of that many people, that many civilizations claiming to have had supernatural experiences or encounters with God? That they did. That makes more sense to me than naturalism. It doesn't prove it, but it's darn interesting. And if we're comparing worldviews on just that point, something like Christianity makes more sense. If someone wanted to say there were different cultures and different spiritual expressions, we would say, yeah, but we believe that people of every culture and every religion can have supernatural experiences. So God is not the default answer. Free will. Free will's an illusion. Morality. Morality's just an opinion. Okay, now hold up a second. In fairness, like I did with supernatural experiences, claimed supernatural experiences, here I mean the intrinsic awareness, because I'm looking for things we agree about, and I realize that atheists by and large don't affirm actual free will. So what I'm looking for is things that we agree are data points that are real facts, and it's a real fact that most people at least feel as though they have free will. Most people at least sense that certain things are really wrong, objectively wrong, and not a matter of opinion. So what makes the best sense? Here we go again, right? What makes the best sense? We're comparing worldviews. What makes the best sense of the fact that you really strongly feel that you that when I did this, I could have just as easily done that, that instead? And I wasn't determined to do this instead of that. What makes the best sense out of that extreme intuition? What makes the best sense out of the fact that it really seems objectively wrong to most people to torture the, the little children just for the fun of hearing their screams is objectively wrong and not a matter of opinion? What makes the best sense out of that morality and free will that way? Your atheism that says it's an illusion and a matter of opinion or that uh, free will does exist, that you, you feel like you have free will because you do have free will. You feel like it's really wrong to torture little babies for the fun of it because it's really wrong to torture little babies for the fun of it. See, if you compare worldviews, which one of those comes out on top? That's what we're doing here. That's how this works. Death it's basically um, inference to the best explanation. It's abductive. It's kind of like this. This is how that works. If I come home, and I, I've used this before, and I see a football in our yard, a Nerf football, let's say, and I've got two daughters who don't care about football. Now, let's say I have three possibilities, three hypotheses, three explanations. And on the one hand, one of those explanations is that my wife bought a football for my daughters. The second one is that the neighbor kids threw it into our yard when they were playing and just never came and picked it up. And the third one is that space aliens beamed it down from a ship there to confuse me. Okay. Are all of those possible? So far as I know, those are all possibilities. However, um, which one is which one is the actual is likely to be the actual answer? let's infer the best explanation here okay well the idea that my that space aliens beamed it down I, I have no uh, absolute reason to believe that space aliens exist uh, certainly not in my part of the universe they've uh, that's never been made sure to me um, second I have no idea why they care about football or confusing me individually 
out of all mankind. So let's put that out of there. That's unlikely. Um, it's possible, but it's unlikely um, that my wife bought a football for our girls. That's much more likely, but still not as likely as the third explanation because my daughters don't care about football. And this particular football, let's say, looks a little bit worn in. I should have myself bigger. Looks a little bit worn in. And uh, if she just bought it today, then it wouldn't look worn in like that. So that doesn't seem right. Um, and then third, that the neighbor kids threw it over. That seems more likely. I've, in fact, I think I've seen them play with a football like this one before. That is the best explanation. I can't be sure. It's, it's not like a proof, but it, it makes sense, right? It checks all the boxes, right? That's what we're doing. You're comparing explanations. That's what we're doing here with worldviews. We're comparing uh, the atheistic, the, the worldview that contains atheism, that explanation against the, you know, the, the Christian explanation of various phenomenon and seeing which one makes the best sense. So which one makes the best sense out of rain? Well, we can both explain the rain equally. Uh, if you want to go further back, there might be something interesting there back to the beginning of the universe or that it uh, seems to be designed such that rain is possible so that life can emerge, these kind of things. We, we could maybe do something with that. But but which one of us explains rain better? Eh, that's not a point for you or a point for me. That's just a point. Um, which one explains f the, the experience as though we have free will better? Um, obviously, the, 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 it seems like free will and morality... The, Christianity makes the it's saying, look, you, you feel like you have this extreme impression that you have free will because you have free will. You have this extreme impression that it's objective, like really wrong to torture children for them because that's because it's really wrong. OK, that's that's what we're doing here. All right, let's keep going. Experiences near death experiences are just chemical reactions happening in your brain. OK, now hold up a second, because there's another guy on this list who says the same thing. Uh, here's the problem with that. I think atheists, and, and this is the fault of apologists, and this is the fault of individual Christians, some of whom might be trying to make money. I don't know. But um, they think they seem to think that what we're interested in here is what is reported about the afterlife encounter. That's not what we're interested in. Uh, it's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the fact that it seems like naturalism doesn't survive uh, a robust understanding of near-death experiences as they exist even in the medical journals written up by atheists or at least non-religious people. And uh, what you, what you, what uh, some interesting features of that are um, some people experience what is called remote viewing. They, they know what's going on in other parts of the hospital or even aside for, away from the hospital while they're unconscious and things like that. They can talk about what was going on in the room when they had no brainwave and no heart rate activity. When these things are happening, you can't just say, well, it's just a drug-induced thing or it's your body releasing chemicals, uh, you know, those kind of things. It doesn't surprise me that with certain drugs like DMT or whatever else, that there is something that approximates some of the phenomenon that also goes along with um, alleged near-death experiences. But some of those things are evidential and aren't explained by those kind of things. So what makes the best sense of the fact that people um, seem to have this experience of surviving physical death and of a conscious awareness, uh, even when their body has no heart rate and no brainwave activity, and they can even talk in some cases about what's happening elsewhere, aside from that hospital room, and be right? I don't think naturalism accounts for that really well. I think Christianity accounts for that better. Beauty is an opinion. The beauty is an opinion. We, first of all, I know that John is married, but with that kind of talk, it's surprising. <laughs> uh, tell your wife that beauty is just an opinion. Well, she's, she's, she's well-versed in all this stuff too. She knows what you mean. Look, there's an argument from beauty. I'm not going to spend the rest of this video because I'm already getting behind in responding and answering that. But nevertheless, um, uh, there's a whole argument from beauty. Uh, I, I may do a video on that pretty soon because there's another guy that asks about that one. 
rapid expansion of the early church. Gullible people believe dumb shit easily. The events surrounding the life and death of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, considering that there's no contemporaneous accounts of what Jesus did during his life, the stories that were built up around him either are made up or are so loosely based on a historical person, we simply cannot know what he really did during his life. And our shared longing for... Okay, that is an extreme position that we can't know anything about or can't know with certainty. I mean, obviously we can't know with like Cartesian certainty, right? But 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 that we can't be have a high probability of, of likelihood about certain things in Jesus's life. I mean, tell that to the Jesus Seminar who actually went through... Uh, the Gospels in their book, the five Gospels, and uh, assigned colors, uh, a color scheme to try and determine which things Jesus almost certainly did and said versus things he almost certainly didn't say and everything in between. I mean, th this is not where, I mean, you're overblowing it here. You're, you're, you're exaggerating your own case. That's not good. Um, but with the rapid expansion of the early church, people do believe crazy things. That's true. People believe dumb things, but obviously, you know, John, there's more to it than that. These people were willing to face serious persecution uh, for affirming these things. And it was certainly outside of the realm of what they had been raised to believe. And uh, and and so there's there's a lot that goes into that whole thing. Uh, by the way, if you're new to this channel, I have a playlist on uh, Christianity, the truth of Christianity or something like that. And it's got a whole bunch of stuff on the resurrection. I present a case for it in my debate with uh, Matt Dillahunty. And uh, so I encourage you to go check those things out because there's a lot there on that. But um, I don't think this is right on historical Jesus stuff. And I don't think it's right on, uh, on I mean, the rapid expansion of the early, early church. What makes the best sense out of that? purpose and meaning. I mean, this is just human nature to wonder about these things. It's a consequence of having a higher functioning brain. You can definitely find other species on this planet that seem to exhibit those exact same emotions. Okay. But here's the thing. What we're trying to say is we're saying, look, man, you've got all these kind of, uh, universal supernatural experiences, um, free will, morality, um, experiences of, of God, acclaimed experiences of God. You've got, uh, uh, you've got this rapid expansion of the early church, the stuff about Jesus, life and death. You've got all these kind of things. What makes the best sense out of our, our longing for, per I was born. I, I must have a purpose. I am here because there's a purpose that, that, that was intended for my existence. What, what explains all these things better? We're not saying which one can we absolutely have absolute certainty is true or not. And we're not looking for an argument that gives you a proof. What we're looking at is compare your worldview to your, you know, the, the worldview that includes atheism to the Christian worldview, which one makes the best sense out of these things. Seems like Christianity. Now I'm saying, tell me, tell me, give me some things that you think, uh, your worldview accounts for better than Christianity. And we'll talk about that. That's what I asked for. That's the purpose of this. So far, I've gotten an oblique reference to rain. Let's see what comes next. So what is it that Christianity doesn't answer as well as your worldview? Again, like I said before, everything. And we're back to the star check test. He's given us one star and wishes he could give us less. God did it is not an answer for anything. It doesn't explain anything. Where if it were like the force where you could just slap it on and say that explains it. That's not what we do. In principle, you can point me to things that don't seem to make sense or seem to make better sense on your perspective than they do on mine. 
that's what I'm looking for, John. As even on my worldview where I don't know something, at least I'm upfront about it and I just don't make up some kind of bullshit answer. What okay. facts about reality? Okay. So, so what we see here is John doesn't give us anything. I mean, that's a tacit recognition that even if, even what you're saying, John, even if you're saying, well, God, but God can be an answer for anything and therefore is an answer for nothing. Okay. You're saying Christianity accounts for everything and you can't tell me anything that atheism doesn't account for or does account for better than Christianity. And the reasons you say that it's not satisfying to, to give the God answer, uh, why I guess you shouldn't have to present something like that, is because God can be an answer for anything. But again, in principle, you could give a response to that. But I was looking for something. I mean, you know, uh, some people point to uh, the problem of evil. That would be a good place to go. Some people point to uh, scientific facts that don't seem to line up with the biblical narrative. I mean, I can answer that and we'll get to that. But at least that would have been something. I'm not getting those sorts of things. Okay. And for those of you that would point out atheism isn't a worldview, I'm talking about you, your worldview that includes atheism. Thank you, Braxton. I hope that will um, head off some comments in the response. You certainly would think so, Rusty, <laughs> but it didn't. Uh, this is Rusty Walker. I had never heard of Rusty Walker before, but he's pretty he's a pretty nice guy, seems like. I, I enjoyed his response, and we're going to hear some of that now. I can't think of any. Christianity accounts for evil, suffering, the existence of other religions, including supernatural events in those other religions. The story of Christianity does, but does it actually? So the mythology that uh, surrounds Christianity would explain all of those things that Braxton just mentioned, if they are true, but I don't hold that they are true. That's okay. What we're asking right now is not, do I have a deductive argument that what we're looking for here is we're doing this abductively. We're saying, let's point to some things that you think are real. I'm going to say this throughout this video that you and I agree are true facts about the way the world is they're, they're, It's common ground for us. We agree about this fact and which worldview yours or mine makes the best sense out of this. That's all we're doing. I get that you don't think Christianity is true, but that's what we're looking for not convinced that uh, the Christian mythology is true. In fact, but if it were true, would it account for what we see? Will we expect to see the things that we do? I'm strongly convinced that the story of the Garden of Eden and the flood is actually false. Um, I say the story of the flood is false. Obviously, there might have been some local flood. Uh, I have no problem with the Bible being literature and, and, uh, and so forth and then trying to explain uh, to to extract meaning from it in that way. I just don't think that the stories are true. Uh, but they don't have to be true to have meaning. That's the thing about stories. Okay, now, so, um, that's, so we've got something good there. If, it's de if Christianity is dependent on something like biblical inerrancy or something, or for reasons that some Christians might have for original sin, the garden story being a literal affair, then, uh, then he's saying, I, I don't think these stories are real. Well, you'd need to give us some reason to believe that's true or some reason to believe that your position on that makes better sense than my position or makes, uh, you know, fits the data better. And, um, and, and in fact, there are 
uh, actually, like uh, Josh Swami Doss is, is very popular for this right now. And uh, you've got William Lane Craig now working with him and then working apart from him on different models for the historical atom and how all that works. And we're going to come back to that in just a few moments. But what I want you to see here is that what we're looking at is um, a, a situation where he says, I, I don't think that's true. Okay, well, tell me why. And let's compare worldviews, science and differences among different denominations of Christianity. But I can think of many things that the most common worldviews that include atheism don't answer as well as I think Christianity does. Except all of the things you mentioned there on the second half of that uh, question are equally explained by Christianity being false. <laughs> well, hold on. You, you would need to you would need to give me reasons to believe that's true. How are those things explained if Christianity is false? You're basically this is a reiteration of the exercise that we're trying to do here of worldview comparison. You're saying I'm saying, look, I think Christianity accounts for all these things pretty well. And, and you're saying, well, I think my worldview better accounts for those where Christianity is false. OK, tell me tell me why. Tell me how. Why, why does your worldview account for this? Otherwise, we're not really saying anything. And people simply believing that something special had taken place. Uh, we have other cults around the world that uh, strongly believe something false. Uh, Braxton, uh, what's your view on the Mormons? Okay, now we're going to, let me get, get big for just a minute. We're, we're going to, we're going to, he's going to go through this. I, I love this guy. Pa Rusty, I love you. One of the things I love about Rusty is I don't have to respond that much. There's actually a whole part before this clip where he actually um, raises some objections like about design and about the beginning of the universe and abiogenesis and all these kind of things and then responds to his own answer to his own objections. And then, of course, he comes back around with more objections, but he kind of argues with himself. And I realize what you're doing, Rusty. You're trying to give both sides. and I appreciate that. But but that's what he does. Well, that wasn't exactly pertinent to this because I didn't necessarily raise those things, at least not here in the list. But um, but here he's going to raise an objection. Wait a minute, Braxton. There's other worldviews that that also think they can answer those things. Right. Again, I want to be clear. We're, I agree that all worldviews have answers. What I'm asking is which one's answers are most likely to be true when we're doing worldview analysis. Whose worldview best accounts for that? I know they all can account for it. Wh whose worldview best accounts for it is most likely true, is more more plausible. And um, and but what I love here is he's going to raise these up this objection. What about these other religions and stuff? And then he's going to shoot them down, right? Like normally, what you get from atheists is they say, uh, "Well, all these other religions they give just as good of answers as you do, and they they all just." have just the same likelihood of being true as yours does and all that. Not with this guy. He he raises that objection kind of, and then he shoots them down without shooting down Christianity. Watch this, because I think this is this is just uh this is just beautiful. I think Joseph Smith was a common and anybody who followed him uh, had been taken in. Me too. So one of the marks of a, a false prophet that you can look at is whether or not what they said was self-serving. Particularly sexually, as he's about to point it out. This is an interesting commonality with many, many cults is um, there being an, a, a nefarious sexual component. In their own interest. So, for instance, the poly, polygamy uh, that he practiced was very much in his own interest. 
we see the same happened with uh, Islam. Uh, the prophecies of Muhammad, uh, the, the writings, the narrations of Muhammad, uh, some of them, not all of them, were self-serving. The classic example being when he slept with his wife's slave girl. Now, that's not adultery because she was a slave and therefore property. Uh, <laughs> not a good look. Um, so it wasn't actually adultery because she was property. But um, when his wives went to challenge him on it, um, Muhammad had a convenient revelation that yeah. essentially told his wives to shut up and go away. And this is supposed to be the word of God that had been known for all time and just happened to have a passage in it that was very convenient for Muhammad after he'd slept with um, someone he shouldn't have that, that, that didn't belong to him in, I'm with in you, the Rusty. historical context. I'm with you. So, now, we're ramping up to something, right? We're ramping up because he's saying, you can tell when something's false, one of these religions is false, because there'll be something self-interested to the progenitor of that perspective, it's something self-interested and sexual in both of these cases, but something self-interested here. All right, so we're ramping up. We've got Christianity in focus. Here we come. That's another red flag. So we have red flags in Mormonism. We have red flags in Islam. Like universal supernatural claims. Wait, universal what? Rusty, Rusty. <laughs> it looked like you were ramping up to, to shoot down Christianity. But there's nothing self-interested in Jesus, is there, Rusty? I know you know that. And maybe you, like me, were just kind of getting off on a rabbit trail about that. But, number one, you answered your own objection. You can shoot down these other, <laughs> these other religions. Uh, one of many ways is the way that you, that you brought out. Uh, but, but, but then here, we, we thought we were ramping up toward Christianity, but you don't do that with Christianity. It's not like Mormonism. It's not like Islam. It's completely different from those. Because what Jesus did was actually selfless not self-interested so this actually works in the favor of the point i want to make so anyway just experiences except they're not universal because what you're mistaking is the idea that all people have some kind of experience with the idea that experiences are the same when they're not uh, so they'll have different motifs across cultures Okay, now he says, look, the problem with this is, yeah, there's this universal supernatural experience and experiences of God and things like that. Maybe that's the case, but they're not the same. They follow those cultural motifs. Sure. Christianity would anticipate that. The Bible like shows that happening, but it doesn't say that the supernatural experiences they're having aren't real. We would expect that if the supernatural, if Christianity is true, if the supernatural is real and there's uh, angelic and demonic forces at work and those sorts of things, we would expect that in other cultures they would have supernatural experiences, some of which are, are Christian ones, by the way, even in non-Christian cultures, interestingly. But we would also expect they would have supernatural experiences that were not good supernatural experiences. This is why when Mormons tell me that they experienced a burning in their bosom that demonstrates that Mormonism is true, I don't say, no, you didn't. I say, I believe you may have had that experience. I don't necessarily believe all of them did, but, but I, I may believe you had that experience. What I want to know is the content of that experience. The fact that, there are, that they follow cultural motifs much of the time it doesn't tell you anything. We would anticipate that. The Bible shows that. So um, still, what makes the best sense of 
I mean, certainly atheism doesn't make the best sense of that, right? What makes the best sense of that? Um, I think Christianity does. Uh, the, the nature of the experience might be the same, but the way it happens and the things that people see and report aren't. Free That's will, funny. morality. You're saying free will, but there's no reason to think free will exists. You believe free will exists, and you know perfectly well that atheists are more likely to think it doesn't. Yeah, and again here, I'll admit some responsibility. What I, was, what I should have said, what I meant was the, the shared experience we have, that, uh, the impression, the extreme intuition that we have free will, what accounts for that? Same with morality. What accounts for the extreme intuition we have that torturing babies for the fun of it is just wrong, not in a matter of opinion, just wrong. Just so that if you do it, you're wrong. Or if you say it's not wrong, you're wrong in the same way that mathematically two plus two equals seven is just wrong, right? And that free will is an illusion. So when we say free will is an illusion, what we're saying is the brain has access to a phenomenal amount of input. And you might be biased in one direction before anything else happens because of your genetics or how you were brought up, your environment, uh, exposure in the environment. So that's three factors, how you're brought up, your genetics, and your environment. So all of those, th those three uh, categories will influence you before any other inputs occur. And then you have to consider that you make memories. Uh, your memories associate um, how you felt about something. Uh, so if you got stung by a bee, it's going to make you less likely to disturb bees. Uh, it's going to affect how you think about bees. Uh, so that's control. Your memory controls your behavior. And a number of other influences from uh, your external, uh, your senses of the external world. Yeah, so uh, obviously I've covered this many, many times. This is an important area for me personally. I've done a lot of study. I've had the debate on Unbelievable with Dan Barker on free will. I debated Matt Dillahunty on free will. I've done a lot of personal work on free will. I've had debates with uh, other Christians who are Calvinist, live on stage public debates on this issue, uh, written on this issue. This, this, this is a big issue for me, right? Uh, if we had more time, I would argue, and, and I do elsewhere all over this channel, that He's right that your 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 past history, your genetics, um, your desires, all of these things are influences and they serve as reasons you do one thing or over the other. But the question is, are they causal? And that's the important issue um, that needs to be addressed. So all of these inputs are going on in your mind, plus what's going on internally by memory, recollection and yep. recollections of negative or positive yep. emotions uh, and reasons. reactions uh, to create what your action is going to be so well the influences and reasons but they're not necessarily causative right the cheeseburger doesn't force you to eat it right this this is obviously a truncated way of saying it it doesn't appear that will is free but it just appears to us as if it is and the classic test for this is um getting people to um, say that they've made a voluntary decision that the uh, the researcher has discovered they made uh, milliseconds before on paper by an fMRI scan or, or whichever scan they used at the time. So they could see the reaction in the brain before the user reports that they've made a choice. So that's interesting. It indicates that the uh, if, if the subconscious mind has already decided it, the user isn't freely deciding it at all. The subconscious mind is telling them what their decision is. So 
that's what the research is showing, Braxton. Uh, well, th these are limit experiments he's talking about, and there are variations of it. I recommend Alfred Mele's book on this free, Why Science Has Not Disproven Free Will. And uh, there are a number of responses to this all over the place in the journal articles, in the book, uh, Oxford Companion of, on Free Will. And what, what basically the limit experiments do show um, maybe there's actually problems with the limit experiments anyway, because what you're telling people, we're trying to figure out whether you, what you think are your conscious experiences, right, are libertarianly free. But what they tell people is, at least in the limit experiment, is don't think about, try not to think about when you're going to push the button. Try not to think about it, right? So they're telling them, tr they're basically telling them, try to be determined, right? Try not to think about it and push the button. And then, oh, uh, lo and behold, the electrode indicates that that decision was made just before you uh, moved to push the button. All right, if I grant, so there's problems with it anyway, because you're telling people not to consciously think about it. Um, but even if I granted what the, the limit experiments show what they are intended to show, um, in a simple way, in a reductionistic way. What they show is uh, that it seems like with certain actions that we would call picking actions rather than choosing actions, that um, like something like which button am I going to push or when am I going to put my finger down on the clock, that especially when you're told not to think too much about it, right, that it's more like uh, an impulse that, that, that there may be some evidence for ahead of time. But that doesn't, but it's a huge leap to then say that's true of everything you do all the time. So the example I often give is, well, if I'm walking into a gas station and there's a double door there and I walk in one side of the double door, then the other, I'm not thinking too much about that. Perhaps I'm running on kind of determinism. But on the other hand, um, whenever I'm deciding, should I marry this girl? Where should I go to school? Or even where do I want to eat dinner tonight? And there's a bit of chaos going on in my brain and I'm thinking things out and really reasoning things out. And, and I'm disruptive that way with my own thinking. You can't say that that choosing process is the same as that sort of impulsive picking process. And there's a lot to say about that uh, that we don't have time to get into. But the Libet experiments have all kinds of problems. And uh, Rusty, I would encourage you, if you're not more familiar with those, then, uh, then I would encourage you to um, look into those. I always point people to the Oxford Handbook on Free Will. I think it's great. And read those, especially... Um, I love the chapters by the libertarians there. Read the whole thing. It's really good. It's, it's huge, but it's really, really great, um, really great work. And I encourage you to check it out uh, because there's a lot more than, than what I just heard then going on in that discussion. Near-death experiences. Yes, near-death experiences is another classic that um, theists like to fall back on, which has the problem of not being universal in the motifs that occur during such an experience. So you'll find Hindus and Muslims and everybody else from every other culture. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and jump off of this one now, Rusty. I'm sorry, but I, I know that you talk about the expansion of the early church and the Gospels. We've talked about those already. Um, rapid expansion of the early church, he talks about that's happened because of Constantine. Uh, you've got to deal with what happened before Constantine, um, whether or not there was any divine plan in what Constantine did. And then secondly, with the Gospels and differences you point out with the Gospels and that they seem to have different... 
um, theological interests and, and motivations. I actually think that might be true, um, but doesn't count in against it. In fact, it counts in favor of it. And I would point you to uh, my friend Mike Lycona's work on that. Why are there differences in the Gospels? Um, as well as with, with harmonization, perhaps some of Lydia McGrew's stuff on that. So I, I think that that will be helpful. Um, but on what he just said about uh, near-death things and there being different motifs based on your background, yeah, that's written about in uh, the big book on near-death experiences, Gary Habermas's work on near-death experiences. Even Dinesh D'Souza's book on life after death uh, covers this. This is a very common response, and this is another area where I don't mean to be condescending in the least, and I'm not saying that so that I have license to be condescending, but if you don't know more, if you don't know how Christians respond to what you just said, then I would encourage you to look into this stuff um, in more detail, Rusty, because the answer to the near-death stuff is to say, why they're different motifs is that if you look at the reports, it's not as though the um, being of light or the seemingly angelic being or whatever that they encounter is wearing a name tag that says Jesus or Allah or or um, or whatever or Krishna. That that's not how it works. They interpret the experience they had according to what they know. That's how they arrive at the position. That's also why I don't necessarily use what they experienced as evidence of for this, that or the other thing. I find it personally interesting, but I don't use it for apologetics work or or um, or uh, uh, philosophy of religion. Instead, I'm looking at the, the fact that they have th features like remote viewing um, and that they can talk about what's going on in the room when they have no brainwave and no heart rate. That's evidential. That shows you that naturalism doesn't best explain this. So let's go back to the issue. Which of our two worldviews makes the best sense out of this? I think the thing that makes the best sense out of this is the Christian worldview rather than a naturalistic atheistic worldview. All right, let's move on. And here, actually, um, I'm going to let uh, Jeff Williams respond. Jeff Williams, um, this is an interesting one. This guy, <laughs> this guy has been absolutely persistent. Um, you know, bless your heart, Jeff. Every time I tweet anything, he posts a link to this. Every time, it's all over the place. He wants people to see this video, and so I'm. I made actually a response to his uh, to, to his video um, back when he first released it, th just for uh, my patrons, not because I didn't want atheists to see it. But because at the time I wasn't sure whether I even wanted to make response videos to this. And I wanted to see whether my patrons, most of whom are Christians, thought that it would be helpful. Um, but I actually have a recording of that and I want to go ahead and release my answer to him here. So you're going to see the older background here from me. But here's the answer. I still stand by it. This is a fuzzy question resting on possible equivocation of the word explain. One can contrive a story that takes into account all relevant facts, but is that what we generally mean by explanation? Or does explanation require objective evidence to actually explain how something comes about? Certainly, various ancient myths explain creation and cosmic evolution in the former sense, but do we give them the same seriousness as cosmology based on the laws of nature following the Big Bang. Okay, now see, he's starting to get it here. Here, what he's saying is, he's like, look, yes, even some ancient myths, like aside, let's put Christianity aside for a minute. Some of these ancient myths, yeah, they do. They do account for some of these things, but they don't account for it as well as some of these other things. That's what we're doing. We're, that's what we're trying to say. We're saying, let's take a fact that we agree about. I still haven't heard one yet. And let's... um. Let's figure out which one 
which worldview explains it better. If you think that because of science and some of these things, Christianity doesn't account for origins or whatever better, then make that case. But we're looking for facts you and I agree are real facts about the way the world is that your worldview makes better sense of than mine. And we're going to see if we hear any of those. Drew says, what program am I using to do this? It's Ecamm Live that is only for Mac, I think. Do we think a claim that a metaphysical creator created light, the earth, and water before he created the stars to be the equal of an explanation that says gravity pulled together hydrogen atoms, which coalesced into stars that through nuclear fusion formed heavier elements, which dying stars spewed into space, and which themselves coalesced through gravity into planets? Okay, now see what he's done here. The other day when I was talking about Jordan Peterson, I pointed out that much of atheism today sounds like a 13-year-old atheist boy angrily railing against um, fundamentalist Christianity. Well, you know, I'm actually sympathetic to uh, a young earth creationist reading of Genesis 1, but it's not my understanding. And I actually think he's created a false dichotomy here. The, the, the idea that Christians can't believe that, that, that what he just described is how matter coalesced into stars and then planets formed. It's exactly what I believe, and I'm a Christian. So that's not a count for you. It's not a count for me. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not a point for you. That's not a point for me. That's just a point, right? That's not, you don't get to hug everything that science discovers to atheism as though atheism is the only answer for those things, or as if science is the purview of atheism. Hunter asks us to answer according to our own personal worldview. Okay. I would character mine as non-reductionalist physicalist whose approach primarily takes on a Heideggerian inquiry into being. By the way, he answers the rest of the questions much more quickly than he does this one. So what does that really mean? First of all, it means I reject anything beyond physical reality on the grounds of lack of evidence and the limits of human epistemology to ever know such a thing. Second, it means that I respect science within its proper limits, but believe aesthetic knowledge can lead to deeper truth. The last scene of Dostoevsky's uh, Brothers Karamazov can teach us far more about morality than all the systematic philosophies ever devised. Most importantly... That's... I love Dostoevsky, but... That's just false. Means that I'm the last the last part of Brothers Karamazov teaches us more about philosophy. He said systematic philosophy, okay, than than any other philosophy book ever could. Are you kidding me? Comfortable with mystery and uncertainty. In fact, I'm skeptical of any worldview that claims to answer everything. The world is endlessly Okay, so he's saying look, I reject all supernatural stuff. But, and I'm not saying I can answer stuff. Okay, that's fine. But if we're doing worldview analysis, we're saying we got a fact here that you and I both agree is real, like uh, universal, the universal claims of religious experience and things like that. Um, then that's a fact. Like, he may not agree that supernatural stuff is happening, but the fact that it, that is a universal claim from every culture. Now, again, remember, if you're new to this, uh, cumulative case apologetics, this is not me... Um, this, I wouldn't use this as an argument in itself, like with a, in a syllogism. I'm just throwing out a fact that we both agree is true and say, does that sit better on my worldview or yours? Well, everyone, you know, every culture in the world claims that they've had supernatural experiences. 
Okay, that makes much more sense on Christianity than it does on yours. And if it makes better sense on yours, if you can explain that anthropologically, naturalistically somehow, then give that to us. But if you're not going to give that to us, I'm sorry, that's a point in favor of Christianity until you explain how yours accounts for that better. Mysterious and very little is knowable to us. And when being does disclose an aspect of itself, it simultaneously conceals so much more. This is inherent from first perception. When our observation collapses superposition to perceive Dygon's state, which forever conceals all other possibilities. He's saying that in quantum superposition, once the particle collapses, like a waveform collapses into a particle, it conceals all the other possibilities. Well, in one sense, no, it doesn't because it could have landed anywhere. The Everywhere in the frame is another possibility, but still, um, okay. That things went one way, we don't know how they might have gone another way. Okay, what? I agree with you. I'm asking a very simple question. Point to a fact that you and I think is a real true fact about that we agree about and say which worldview makes better sense of that. That's it. You can't point to one thing that atheists believe that you think makes better sense on, a, on your atheistic worldview than on Christianity. That is very bizarre. Mystery is inevitable. I'll tell you why. is because there isn't anything that Christianity doesn't account for. It's the draw of this mystery that unites physicists, philosophers, and poets in search of truth. Santi, I'd love to come on your channel and talk about the Kalam. In his own way. If there were such a thing as sin, it would be to decolor that rainbow mystery with false images of ghostly, otherworldly shadows. Okay, let's take this as one of his reasons, because it's all I have to work with. Sin. The, the, the idea of sin... On atheism, we, we realize that there isn't anything like sin. It's unlikely there's a thing like sin. You guys think there is something like sin. Okay, yeah. What makes better sense of, of the way the world is on, on the question of evil and sin between atheism and Christianity? Is there even a question? On atheism, nothing is evil. The Holocaust wasn't evil. Pol Pot wasn't, Ill, wasn't evil. None of it was evil. If someone rapes and murders children, it's not evil. Christianity says that's evil, and we can account for that. That's not a point for you. That's a point for us. This physical universe in which we dwell will never be ultimately explained. and we will Drew, I'd be happy to go on your show, too. I love that topic. And we'll offer all the mystery we can ever handle. We need not create stories of non-existent miracles from another realm. I, I agree. We don't need to create those stories. We need to find out are those stories true, but that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you a very simple question. I will say it again. Physicality is a brute fact. Okay. He's talking about all we don't know. We don't know this. We don't know that. I reject supernatural claims, but physicality is a brute fact by which I think he means that, that physical stuff is all there is. You're telling you went you just spent so far this whole video telling me how much we can't know and how much we ought to love and and expect mystery and now you're going to tell me but one thing I do know it's a brute fact is that there's nothing supernatural and physical is all there is unbelievable fool's game to look beyond it everything we can know will be found right here I'll come on your channel I come on all your channels Went on a guy's channel yesterday, and I didn't even know him personally. You guys are patrons. I'll be happy to go on your channel. Not, I mean, I would have gone on your channel anyway, even if you weren't. But... All right, let's go. While I freely admit my worldview leads much unexplained, I am certain Christianity explains nothing at all. 
Christianity explains nothing at all. We're not asking whether you think it's true so that you can then say, since I don't think it's true, it doesn't explain anything. We're saying, what does it account for? What, what, if, it's, if it were true, would it match what we see in reality? Would it explain the data? We're saying yes. We're saying atheism doesn't. And I take this as a concession um, that, he doesn't, that he doesn't know. I, I take this as a concession that, no, there's lots of stuff we don't know on our worldview, and I don't know of anything Christianity can account for. Drew says, I think he's saying, what I think he's saying, for some reason I can't add that to the broadcast, what I think he's saying is that as an atheist, he's skeptical of everything, and his worldview accounts for what we don't know. His worldview, his worldview accounts for what we don't know. Well, the things that we genuinely don't know, I don't think Christianity, I think, I think Christianity accounts for that too. Um, because, Joseph says, I'll start you, I'll start a channel just to invite you on. Let's do it, Joseph. But if, if the things that we don't know, Christianity accounts for that too. It's not like, and atheists make this mistake all the time, if there's a God, he should have explained to you everything about himself in detail, and you should have answers to everything, including why every instance of evil happens and all this kind of stuff. Now, there's a lot of stuff we don't know, but on Christianity, we wouldn't expect to know everything. I mean, I, that, I don't know. I don't know. Let's keep going. Morality is better explained through evolution and an ontological questioning of man's nature manifest in our innate sense of morality, a sense of... Okay, I believe we have an innate sense of morality, and if I were a theistic evolutionist, I would say yes. The way we learned about morality was through her development and all those sorts of things. I'm not a theistic evolutionist, but the thing that's interesting here is he. this is the typical thing about... Are we talking about moral epistemology or moral ontology? He's talking about how we came to understand and know about morality and, and what the moral truths are. Yeah, we learned about mathematics in a similar way. That, that doesn't mean that there aren't mathematical truths that were true before we discovered them. Um, and, in, and, and so what, if, you, if you can explain the epistemology, like how we came to learn moral facts, great. That's, again, that's not a point for you or a point for me. That's just a point. What you can't account for is moral ontology. You can't account for the objective, ultimate nature of morality. And I think he, as many would say, is, yeah, I, I don't think we, because I don't think it is objective. Okay, well, now that's the point where, now we're at a point where you, you have a lot you cannot account for. Because you can't, it, you know, and it's amazing to me that atheists like scholar fiction will flatly admit, yeah, there's nothing ultimately wrong with raping and murdering a baby. But you know what? Um... I think it's wrong. In my opinion, it's wrong. What does it even mean to say in your opinion it's wrong? All you're saying is you don't like it. Somebody else does like it. You can't say they're wrong. You can just say you don't like what they like. That, that, but we all know that's not true. And universally, people don't live and act that way. And Christianity makes better sense of that fact. He's stumbling all over himself. I didn't even, Did I bring up? Yeah, maybe I did bring up morality. Which we Jonathan Fuentes said that he read core facts last night. Well, I really appreciate that, Jonathan Fuentes. I hope that it was a blessing to you. Probably nothing you hadn't heard before, but maybe in a different way. All right. Objectively see refined over the millennia. The claims of the supernatural are better explained by psychologists. Free will remains an open question. Wait, he just brushed over that. The supernatural is better explained by the psychologists? Well, now, now who's equivocating on explained by? Psychologists can, can explain what they think the supernatural is. You didn't tell us what that was, so I can't evaluate what you think about that because you haven't explained it to me. Um, but we're talking about 
in terms of accounting for something, which worldview accounts for it. And the fact that universally supernatural claims are made in every culture throughout history, right up to today, is better accounted for by Christianity than it is by an atheistic worldview. Um, yeah, it is a big point to brush over, Luke. Which, if it exists, might eventually be explained through quantum mind theory. Yeah, free will. He says if it exists, it might be explained by quantum mind theory. So now this is, I agree. I agree. It, it might be. But here's the, th and I'm actually open to that. And the only, and I raised it in my debate with Dan Barker, but that was only because I wanted to, I, I, I was trying to show him that even naturalistically, science hasn't ruled this out. But you understand, go back and watch the debate with Dan Barker if you want to get more on this. But if that hap, if quantum mind theory is true, the design in it, the teleology in it, I submit is so intricate that it matches any thing that's amazing about design and any design argument in the world. It would be so unlikely uh, that, that I would think it would alone count as a reason to believe God exists. Christianity and religion have cultural, political, and psychological explanations. The search for meaning... They also have metaphysical explanations. ...can only be an aesthetic one. Christianity can explain none of that but instead offers an imaginary mythology that competes with other equally vacuous mythology. Okay, so what we would want you to do in this method is we would want you to give me a fact that we both agree is true and show why you explain it better than me. And if part of that is saying that my that it's something about God uh, being imaginary or something, we would talk about that at that point. But you're just making assertions. All right, so moving on, we're going to get to Shannon Q now. This is probably the most recent of the responses made to me. And so I'm going to go ahead and we'll jump into Shannon Q's response to this first question. So I have some interesting thoughts about this question. One of my thoughts about the question itself is that he's phrasing it as though it's too atheist, but then he says that Christianity explains things, you know, like morality, um, things like beauty, things that we would perceive as sort of subjective, for example. So I don't, I think that the explanation for morality um, doesn't exist within religion. But, for, but further to that, the answer to his question is that I don't think or I think it's trivially foolish to think that atheism explains anything really. Like atheism doesn't really have any explanatory power. Saying I'm an atheist isn't isn't an assertion of an explanation of anything at all. Real. Okay, now now notice this this is I said this would happen at least once in this video. And I really like Shannon, but this is what Ashley said. Uh, remember, she, look, atheism is not a worldview. And this is basically what she's saying. She's like, atheism doesn't answer those kind of questions. Atheism is just not believing in God. Okay, but that's not what I said. Now, it, to Shannon's credit, she said she was just answering these things kind of off the cuff. She hadn't thought too much about it beforehand or anything. She's just going with it. And I appreciate that. And so I, I get it. But the question was, I understand that atheism is not a worldview to you folks, but... Your worldview, your individual worldview, that includes atheism. So, uh, so I, I think that that's 
an important thing that needs to be mentioned. At all. So why the question? It seems as though there's this presumption built into the question here. And actually, atheism, what atheism does do to a worldview when it's included is it, and everyone should agree about this, this shouldn't be controversial, it removes um, a number of explanatory hypotheses for any given phenomenon, right? It, it removes any supernatural or non-natural explanations. Uh, if it's naturalistic atheism, it removes God, which is has a lot of explanatory power. Um, it, it removes a lot of these things so that it limits, and I would say cripples, the worldview that it's a part of. That atheism isn't as good as my particular worldview, that being Christianity in this instance, because I can make the assertion that Christianity explains things, everything, in fact. It explains all of the various things. I've, I have a definition of Christianity that constitutes an explanation of everything. I okay, now, uh, I don't say that. I don't think that Christianity explains everything. Um, I, Christianity doesn't explain um, the details of geology, for example. It doesn't explain the details of astrophysics that I would like to know about. It doesn't even explain the details of things in the Bible, like in, in my faith tradition, that I would like to know more about. It doesn't tell me as much about angels as, as, as I would like to know. I think that the idea of angels is darn interesting, and a lot of people think that. That's why people have made up their whole, like, uh, you know, made up stuff about how angels work. Look, the, the Bible doesn't give us all that detail. The Bible, the only things we learn about angels in the Bible are, are when they show up in a story, what does it tell us? You know, what, what can we pick up implicitly about angels? But it doesn't ever, the Bible didn't point, there's never a point in the Bible where a biblical author is like, I'm going to teach you now everything about angels. There's not a place like that. I wish there was. So Christianity doesn't give you answers to everything. We might say it's the answer to everything in a poetic way or something, but it doesn't give you the detailed answers to everything. I wish that it did, but it doesn't. So I don't claim that. Thus, it is true because I personally... And we certainly don't say because it explains everything, therefore it's true. We're saying, look, Shannon, you've got a worldview that includes atheism. I've got a Christian worldview. Okay, now let's look at the way the world is and let's see particular data points I'll provide some that I think my Christianity answers better, my Christian worldview accounts for better, more plausibly than your atheistic worldview. And then I'd like you to share with me some things that you think your naturalistic atheistic worldview accounts for better, some things we agree are real, that yours accounts for better than my Christianity. That's what I'd like to do and do a worldview comparison. Okay, here's what we're not doing. We're not, we're not trying to demonstrate with certainty that Christianity is true. And atheism false. We're not trying to demonstrate with certainty that Christianity answers these things better than other particular worldviews, although that has come up and we've said some things about it. I'm, I'm comparing Christianity to atheism because you're an atheist and I'm a Christian, an atheistic worldview. And we're, we're seeing which one accounts for what we see in reality better. But as being capable of explaining everything. Now, if you're approaching an atheist and saying, I, I conceive of a God that I believe is real, that by definition is the arbiter and creator of everything, and following through with that, he, he thus explains everything, 
There's no predictive power in that. Like I can't. I mean, could God explain everything? And does God explain everything in the sense that he is the source of all things? Yeah. Okay. But that that's not, that's someone accuses me of equivocating on what I mean by explanation. I'm not sure who it is. Um, I, I'm actually not, but that would be an equivocation. I, I'm not saying, I'm saying which one, which one accounts for this feature of reality being the way that it is better your atheistic worldview or my Christian worldview. I can't look at that and say, oh, okay, because you have the explanation for everything, I can figure out a better way to perceive the world. I can m make predictive models that I think have efficacy. It, it does nothing. If anything, I feel as though it undermines the endeavor to try to find things that have better explanatory. Okay, now this is, here we get, I don't think she's like going on a party line here. But this is something that is said all the time. And it, it, it's in fact, you know what? I haven't heard it as much now as I used to, <laughs> but you do hear it quite often. And it's so like, it's one of those things that Christians have answered so many times, like have given their answer and atheists don't seem to care. I'm not saying that she's heard this answer, but it sure seems like atheism in general has heard this and just doesn't care. Because even if you disagree with the answer that I'm about to give when I let her finish, you should still at least mention that I gave that answer, right? That the people gave that answer, that Christianity has said this, right? Um, let's hear it. Because if you feel as though what you already believe explains everything, then what is there left to explain? Okay, so if we accept that God is the beginning of the universe, what's left for cosmology? If we believe that God is the designer, what's left for our study of uh, the natural world? If, if we accept that, that uh, take your pick. Here's the thing. That isn't what we do, Shannon. That's not what Christians say. We don't think that everything has been explained. And even if we do think that God is the, is, is the first cause of the beginning of the universe or whatever, or the source of morality, or whatever it is, that doesn't mean you stop inquiring into those things. You still inquire. I mean, again, the scientific revolution took place primarily because Christians expected, we believe that there is a mind that stands behind the physical universe. And if so, we would expect that the universe should be rationally accessible and, th and that we should find it to be to have the earmark of design, to uh, seem to be, uh, to, to make sense, to I mean, this is what spawned the, the, the scientific revolution. Not to say that there weren't scientific endeavors before that. That's not what I'm saying. So I'm using my words intentionally here. But it doesn't mean you it comes to an end. You keep studying it because it defines and further nuances how we understand the nature of God by how he made things. That, there's no end to any of those studies. Right. And it doesn't mean there's certain questions you can't ask because Christians are not self-conscious. Some are. But Christians in general, Christianity has not been self-conscious that if we open up for inquiry, that it's going to be dangerous for Christianity. I mean, that, that's one of the I mean, one of the things I love about Western countries today. No offense to anyone who's not in a Western country. But one of the things I love about Western countries today is that we're perfect. Christians there are perfectly fine with the marketplace of ideas. Bring us your arguments. Bring us your Islam. Bring us your Hinduism. Bring us your atheism. We'll talk about it because we we're very confident in our position so that there's no problem saying we're not going to like 
a methodological naturalism going forward would be fine for many scientists to continue with, not presuming a supernatural answer and just continuing looking only for naturalistic answers. That's perfectly fine. But it actually opens up a whole other realm of, of inquiry. The philosophy of religion and um, uh, and uh, theological study and historical study uh, that has to do with this and biblical uh, inquiry. There's all kinds of stuff. It opens up. It actually expands um, the questions that you can ask. But in fact, one of my answers to why is heaven never going to be boring, for example, is because there will always be more to learn and to discover and to seek out. So I, I just that's my answer. Now, I don't mind if atheists want to continue to say this. But if you've heard me say it now, in the future, when you make this point, you ought to say, I know some Christians, you don't even have to use my name, but some Christians say, and then explain what I just said, but, but it will be um, lazy not to at least mention that in the future. Right? No. Like you, you've already explained everything. Everything no. is explained. No. What is left to attempt to try to find an explanation for what's Plenty. left to discover there. There's nothing left to discover there. If you buy into that as true. I don't and if get you it, believe Shannon. that it truly can't explain Shannon. everything, unless it's, unless it's super surface level, unless what? it's just saying by definition, not through demonstration, I've defined a thing that it's very existence is the explanation for everything. I mean, sure you could do that, but not then that. what from there? And thus what? And how do you discover that it's true? Well, I suppose that okay, would be my so answer. Like, I You discover that it's true um, in part by, I mean, the, the way that we assess whether Christianity is true. We look at evidences and arguments and, and philosophical inquiry and, and the historical case for the resurrection, all those things that you don't like. I say you don't like that. You don't buy them. You don't think they're good. We'll get to that when we look at her answer and other answers to another question in the list another week in another episode. But that's how you do. And then, of course, your own personal spiritual inquiry about it and all those kind of that. And what we're doing right now, worldview comparison, which worldview accounts for the facts better? sometimes uncover how we feel about things through talking them out. That's one of the reasons that I think the discourse is so important, especially honest discourse. Um, but I think that that's, that's where I land on that, is if you say, I can conceive of something that is the explanation for everything, then what? So? <laughs> like, so? Like, I, I, great. You can conceive of something that explains everything. I could maybe conceive of something that explains everything, but that helps me not at all. Like, how do I go about my life utilizing that? How do I, like, what do, what does that inform you about how to engage with other people, how to engage in the world and how to understand what's going on around you? Well, I mean, because it, 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 it's important to know the truth, right? If that's the truth, if that really is the way the world is, that's why it's important to assess this. If we do our worldview analysis and Christianity seems to fit the facts of the world, it seems to fit the nature of reality better than a world, any worldview that contains atheism and, and all that sort of thing. And if it dem it's demonstrated to be true, how does it affect your life? Because it answers the question of how shall we then live, right? You now understand that there is a God 
you understand some facts about the nature of that God, what he wants for your life, you can still choose to, to disregard that, but it's not unimportant. It's pretty darn important. So, I mean, that question to me, it's like, I know that Shannon is interested in truth, but that question at the end smacks of, who cares? Now, maybe she just means if I'm able to construct something that fits everything, then, then, then who cares? But, but, but if the question is, so what if it turns out that's the case? Who cares? Well, it, I care. A lot of people care. It's a pretty darn important question. All right. I love you, Shannon. Let's move on to the crusade against ignorance. This is an interesting one. These are not new atheists. These are, um, uh, they're not all atheists. One's a Christian of some sort. And then, uh, Joe Schmidt is, I think an agnostic. And then the other guy, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name is <laughs> he's a really nice guy, but I, I don't know his name. I think it's his channel, but he's an atheist, but let's see what they say guess he uh, gave us a bit of a laundry list there of, of things. We don't have to go through each of them. I'm not going to talk about, you know, the argument from beauty individually, then go through the argument from the resurrect. You know, we'll just, I guess we can talk briefly about it. Um, I guess I'll start for now as for me. I mean, the fact that he said he can't think of any, I feel like even if you think that, you know, is true, you should at least understand that initially to a lot of people, it strikes them that um, certain facts about evil, at least evidentially, like, you know, the amounts of horrendous evil, you know, not getting into specific definitions of horrendous, but um, it seems to strike a lot of people, including me, that, say, a worldview that, in, you know, excludes uh, God makes better sense of a lot of, um, you know, amounts of evil various. So that's as far as, I mean, I've, I don't really focus in my approach personally on trying to point out things that, you know, Christians can't explain and I can't. I more so prefer an approach as anybody who's, you know, knows my body of work knows I much prefer like something like Graham Oppie's approach, which is to say that we both can explain basically all of this. The question is then to look at theoretical virtues of the explanations on offer. So my proposed kind of methodology for these kind of questions is not to try to pick through things that, you know, one side can't answer at all and one maybe can, but it does strike me at least to my, to my lights that, um, say naturalism, for example, to me seems to make a lot better sense of, you know, the amounts of natural evil, evolutionary evil, animal suffering, then uh, it makes that makes more sense to me on naturalism than a kind of Christian theism, um, particularly given some of, you know, particular Christian views on things. But um, other than that, I mean, as I said, I don't really want to get too far into the weeds on uh, at least not before letting you guys talk on like all this stuff. OK, so now he said a couple of things here. So he says, you I love this. He says, you sh hold on a second, Braxton. You should at least see evil, like pain and suffering and stuff, as an issue. He's basically, he's not entirely understanding what I'm doing here. Um, I think between him and Joe Schmidt, they, I don't think either one of them gets it exactly. But I think between the two of them, they see what I'm doing here. Uh, maybe Joe gets it. I don't know. But, and maybe I wasn't clear. But he, but he says, um, no, I, I think, I think, but this party gets right. He's like, no, Braxton getting what you're as much as I get what you're doing, you should see evil and pain and suffering as one of those things that maybe counts in favor. Like that's a fact we agree about that. There's a lot of pain and suffering in the world and it's gratuitous in many cases. You should see that maybe as a point for naturalistic atheism, right? I mean that at least that one, even if you got some stuff in your corner, Braxton, that one seems like maybe that should count for us. 
And I love that because he's playing ball. He's playing fair ball. He's saying, okay, you want some things that, that you can account for Braxton, but that seem to make better sense on my position. That's one evil is one. I love that. Now, if we were talking, we would, we would, you know, we would reason back and forth on that. Like, I think that what you would expect if you have a God who is um, omnibenevolent, all loving is that he would want other beings who would love him. And I would argue that love is most legitimate when it is freely given. So he has to give people free will. And if you give people free will, well, then there's going to be uh, pain and suffering and evil because people are going to choose to do that, which is wrong. And if we had a longer time where we could talk about this, I think that accounts for not just moral evil, things we do to each other, but also naturalistic evil as well. And I think there are interesting models for that that make sense of that. Um, now, when he talks about gratuitous evils, evils for which there doesn't seem to have been any greater good, like it doesn't seem to infringe on anyone's free will, and it could it could have been otherwise. Um, classic example from William Rowe is like um, uh, uh, an animal dies. I think it's a it's a a, a, do, or a, um, a fawn dies in the woods. Like a let's say a lightning hits a tree and a tree falls on the fawn, and the fawn burns up in fire, so that nothing good comes out of this. Or there's a real example that he gives of a man who comes home and kills his family and kills himself, and there's nothing good that comes out of this. Um, even in such a case, I don't know that you can call that gratuitous because how would you know that that does not in some butterfly effect lead to something good down the road? This is why you have like William uh, Weikstra, William Weikstra. Yeah, I think it's William Weikstra bringing his um, his argument against this, um, the uh, cornea argument. So I, I, I don't I don't I actually think what you would expect <laughs> if you have an omnibenevolent God is that the world would be pretty much the way that it is. I get how that sounds counterintuitive if we think of like a Hallmark God, right, on a Hallmark card where everything's wonderful and peaches and it's all Disney all the time. I, I, I get that. But if you really think about it, I think that if you think of an omnibenevolent God who wants to create beings who will freely love, this is the world you'd expect. But at least what I love about this is that he's actually engaging in the way that I hoped people would engage. These guys engage the way I hoped people would engage. There's a couple of others later on in the list. But let's hear what Joe Schmidt has to say. About religious experience, supernatural claims. I do have a lot to say about that because I've been thinking about this recently. Um, but again, we don't have to get into all that. But uh, yeah, I'll turn it over to you guys. Um, I don't know, Joe, do you want to go first, I guess, and just kind of know your thoughts? That's my preliminary yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I don't think this should be cast in terms of explanation. Rather, I mean, it, it should be, if we're good Bayesians, it should be cast in terms of um, the expectability of the various pieces of evidence and the pieces of data. On oh, wait a minute. Bef that just reminded me. That when the other guy was talking, whose name I don't remember, um, he he said, um, I don't actually think we should be looking at it in terms of m I can explain this, but you, the Christian, can't explain this. I think instead we should look at the understand that both have answers and look at the theoretical virtues of each. That's what I'm saying that that's the position that I'm presenting. Perhaps I wasn't as clear as I should have been. But I'm not. And, and then the other guy, the, the Christian guy, the guy on the left, top left, he does the same thing. They both seem to think what I'm saying is what can my worldview answer that yours can't answer? That's not what I'm saying. All the worldviews can answer all these questions. I'm saying which one seems to best account for this. And what he said he would rather do, I think, is exactly what I'm trying to accomplish. Uh, let's go back to Joe. Sorry, Joe. I, I'll get to you now. Hypotheses in question. 
on pretty much any, I mean, you can concoct any theory or any account that ha explains the data. I mean, really what we want is a, uh, predicting the data, is giving an account, giving, an, giving a hypothesis on which the data is more expected than the rival hypothesis. And so it's not as though we need to pinpoint anything that, you know, uh, Christianity cannot explain or, you know, it's maybe defective explanations. Uh, rather, we just need to look at the expectability uh, of the evidence given certain hypotheses. And I would argue that uh, given... Okay, so now what he's saying is, he's saying, would we expect... So what we should be doing is saying, if we look at two worldviews and we look at the way the world is, on this worldview, would we expect the world to look the way it does? Or does that seem more like this worldview, the way the world is? That's what I'm trying to do. For instance, something like a hypothesis of indifference, which is that whatever produced biological organisms is indifferent to their flourishing and languishing. Um, that's compatible with atheism and naturalism, but it doesn't entail them. If we have that hypothesis on offer versus theism, which you know has a all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good God at the foundation, um, it seems to me that the hypothesis of difference makes a lot more sense of a significant portion of our data. Uh, I love this too, because he's playing fair ball. What he's saying is he's like, if, if, if what he's doing with this indifference thing is he's trying to say, it seems like that it seems like there's nothing like there's, it doesn't seem like that there's any particular design to it. Right. The universe seems indifferent, right? That's what, that's what it seems like. Um, and I like that because he's playing fair ball. He's saying, let's look at the way the world is. And I'm saying that the way the world is seems to make more sense on, and he's agnostic, I think, but on um, a naturalistic perspective rather than a, one where you've got a God who does seem to care how things go. The, the seemingly random distribution of, of pains and pleasures, um, the biological gratuity of pain and pleasure that, that Paul Draper has worked on, um, a bunch of things that Jeff Lauder and Daniel Linford have worked on, um, uh, animal, like hundreds. Okay. Before he goes on to animal suffering, I've got Draper, I've got Roe, I've got uh, a lot of the, I've got the old Mackie and stuff from the logical arguments. And I, this, this is the stuff I love, but here's the thing. When we talk about, um, when we talk about, uh, well, what did he just mention? He just mentioned, um, uh, oh, the, 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 how like, uh, uh, you know, goods and evils, pain, pleasures and pains seem to be spread about in an indifferent way, like randomly. Um, that makes sense, more sense on naturalism. I, I again think that's not a point for you, not him, but the atheist. It's not a point for you. It's not a point for me. It's just a point because on a Christian worldview that affirms a fall, uh, that does actually make sense. That's what we would expect. We would expect, but we would actually expect to see individual circumstances with a strong um, religious significance around them where something amazing does seem to happen, like uh, miracle claims, for example. And of course, everyone punts to Craig Keener on miracles, but that's there. And I've actually got a video on this channel on miracles. That actually does seem to happen. So when you take all of the data, I, I don't actually think, I think you would expect to see largely what seems like indifference because that's the ramifications of the fall. That's a part of a curse on mankind or a curse that, or let's say a ramification of sin that we could call a curse on mankind. And then you see these little moments of light, right? Where it's not indifferent. And I think all of that's best explained 
uh, on my view. But now let's talk about animal suffering. Millions of years of profound languishing and suffering and, and anguish in the evolutionary process. Um, you know, prima facie, on the hypothesis that fundamental reality is ultimately indifferent to the flourishing and languishing of sentient life, it seems as though that's not at all surprising that there would just be this grueling hundreds of millions of years of animal suffering, whereas on the hypothesis of theism, that does seem unexpected. Uh, it's not to say that it's incompatible. It's just to say that it's unexpected. Uh, and then finally, this is my final note before turning it over to Samuel, um, is, uh, you know, Felipe Leon's argument for material causality, for instance. So if we take Christianity... Wait a minute, before he goes on to, to that, I, I want to say on, on the animal suffering, first of all, this is often overblown. He didn't overblow it, but it is often overblown. For example, there's a particular type of insect that embeds its young into this caterpillar, and then the caterpillar feasts on the inside of the... or the, uh, the, the larva feasts on the inside of this caterpillar and burrow their way out, killing the caterpillar in what strikes us as extreme suffering. And yet when you look at like those in insects like that and stuff that their cognition is such that it's, it's like less than, I mean, it's, it's insignificant. Like, I don't, I don't know that suffering is really going on there. On the other hand, I don't go all the way with like the Michael Murray sort of thing that says that animal suffering just doesn't happen because animals can't reflect on their suffering and all those kind of things. I I'm not convinced by that either because I've got a pet dog and I can see certain things that perhaps I'm anthropomorphizing, but really seem like suffering on occasion, right? Not much. My dog, Indy's got like a charmed life. But anyway, um, I, I don't buy that either. And I admit that I have more work to do on the issue of animal suffering. I've actually been somewhat challenged by that. Not so much that I think there's really a problem there for my worldview, in, like my the religious side of that, so much as... I've been challenged uh, when it comes to how we handle food production, but that's a whole other thing. And, um, <laughs> and I just shocked a lot of my listeners probably, but anyway, um, that's, uh, but, but animal suffering in and of itself, there, there's all kinds of defeaters to the uh, supposed issue here. If it was set up as an argument, I mean, not the least of which is this sounds really weird, but, is there animal resurrection, right? Are, are these animals going to be recreated in the new new heaven and the new earth? I, I don't know. Um, what What is that? How will God deal with, with animals that way? Uh, what is their experience really like? I mean, we have uh, propositional knowledge about these animals, but we don't have experiential knowledge. And I think all of that's pretty important. But uh, suffice to say, and this is an important point, what if I gave him that? What if I gave him animal suffering? What if I said, you know what? That one seems to me, to sit better on naturalism than Christian theism. I don't think that. But what if I did give him that? Well, that's the great thing about this, um, this cumulative case argument is we're looking at a number of pieces of data and we're saying which one fits the most of them the best, right? And I keep waiting. You say, yeah, but all the pieces of data we're talking about are ones that you like, like uh, the rapid expansion of the early church, beauty, free will, consciousness. I didn't mention that, but conscious experience, um, you know, all these kind of things. That's because I'm waiting for atheists to give me something. And none of them are giving me anything except here we did get evil. We got rain from genetically uh, from uh, uh, godless engineer. Right. I get all these superhero names mixed up, but um we got rain, which wasn't great. Uh, we got uh, suffering here. I mean, it's it's really tough. I'm, I'm trying to work with what they're giving me. They're not giving me anything. What I'm getting is what I'm presenting. Um, so if, if we gave animal suffering there, what fits most of the uh, data overwhelmingly so far that's been laid out here is a Christian worldview. 
versus a naturalistic one. To include definitionally ex nihilo creation, um, well then there plausibly we might be able to make a case that uh, you know there is some fact about reality, namely the truth of the principle of material causality uh, that Christianity cannot account for and is in fact incompatible uh, with it. Um, now whether or not the principle of material causality is true, that's of course uh, a question for another day. I actually had a discussion with Mike on my channel with Philippe Leon discussing the the principle and the argument. And I think that Philippe Leon is the guy who coined the phrase and, and structured the idea of the principle of material causality or causation. But, but without going too much into that there, you know, my familiarity with that is a little bit with, with this guy. And uh, there's a few articles out there about it. Um, but here, here's my position on that without going into an explanation and getting into all that. But I, I don't really see this as a big problem because um, I would be suspicious or skeptical of the claim of the principle of, of material causality. Like you need to, like Joe, you'd need to present me a reason to believe that that's the case. Right. And people have done that, but I would like to see a presentation from a person I'm, I'm interacting with here on that. And then even after you gave me that, I would need to know, because I'm also skeptical that that is necessarily incompatible with classical theism. I would need to see some explanation of that. So th there's a couple of leaps we need to would need to be made there. Um, that that is even a thing, <laughs> um, uh, or necessarily I should say is a thing, and that if it is a thing, that it is that that it would exclude classical theism. And I understand why people would think that it that it that it seems to be, but I don't know that it necessarily needs to be. And there are people who have written on that. So anyway, I don't I don't think that's a, a slam dunk. Um, and it's just he's just throwing it out there. I mean, there's not he even admits like I'm not saying it is. I'm just but but we would need more argumentation there to present something on that. Um, all right. Anything else? Um, but yeah, I guess I guess I'll leave it at that and I'll turn it over to Samuel. All right. Thanks. That was great. Yeah. Sam, what do you got? Can you hear me first? Yes. OK, just to move it along, this individual um, I'm sorry because I'm not playing you. Um, but, but what he's, but what he's basically going to say is, look, the best way to go about this is not to say my worldview can answer this and yours can't. Um, it really should be to invite the unbeliever to consider the Christian worldview and how we make sense of things. And even if the person doesn't buy it, that's fine. But we shouldn't be trying to like force them to believe by saying it's, it, it's gotta be Christianity because blah, blah, blah. But that's exactly what I'm doing here. Um, I'm not saying things, that, and I, I know I didn't phrase it this way. I phrased it right. I'm not saying in the question things that my worldview accounts for and yours can't. My worldview accounts for and yours doesn't or doesn't account for as well as a Christian worldview. So we very much are inviting people to say, look, here's some data that we think our worldview makes sense of that I don't think your worldview makes sense of as well. So, you know, uh, again, a slight misunderstanding there. Uh, real quickly, let's move on to Nathan Ormond. So there's so many, and a lot of these issues... Uh, the okay, now, what he's saying is, is I'm like, what, what does my worldview... This is where at the end of the question I ask, okay, look, um, what, what does your worldview account for that mine doesn't account for? 
as well as your worldview that includes atheism. And he says, oh, there's, there's just so many. Let's see what else he says. Most important ones. I was literally just in a Discord server where we were talking. What I want to say is, again, this is the Star Trek um, test going on again. He's, he's kind of the, the type of responder who's saying, it's one star, and if I could give you less than one star, I'd do that. About these issues. Um, before I say what I'm thinking, Majesty of Reason, who's got a really cool YouTube channel. Um, he's studying philosophy. Majesty of Reason is Joe Schmidt, I think, the guy that was on the bottom in the last video that we just looked at. And his answers will actually be philosophically good. Um, so be sure to... Oh, hey, there we go. Micah Edvinson was the guy in the top right in the last video. Sorry, Micah, but we got there. Subscribe him and check that out. But yeah, my answers are not going to be philosophically good. I'm just going to be talking out of my ass. Um, I like the humility there. So almost all of what I see as the most important issues that humanity seems to face, issues to do with um, like climate change, uh, responsible use of tech, the technological power that we have, um, how we organize societies with so many people in that require so many resources and how we handle and distribute so much wealth. Um, questions like this are not... So, sorry, sorry. The, the problems like this are, are facts, you know, like, like that, that our current economic system can't, um, can't go on the way it has done with uh, consumption of resources. It's destroying the planet. Um, it's not good for dealing with people. Wealth distribution um, at the top increases, while as, um, you know, other people aren't getting the resources and stuff like that. All right, Nathan, these are facts. I'm with you. The, these are facts about the state of affair in reality. But um, yeah, Christianity Christianity only accounts for these things insofar as it has the infinite explanatory power of original sin to account for them. I don't understand infinite explanatory power of original sin. First of all, I don't conceptualize original sin the way that you presume I do. I know from re previous videos, um, not everyone has this full-on Augustinian understanding of original sin, but whatever. Um, people are sinful is the Christian position. Yes. I mean, you don't think people are sinful, right? Because you don't think sin's a thing, I guess. But you do think that some that bad, like people do bad, or at the very least do other than you would prefer, right? Um, morally on whatever understanding of morality you have, people do things that you call immoral, right? We call that stuff sin, right? And there's going to be a big overlap probably between what we call sin and what you call immoral, not, not complete overlap. There's going to be overlap. What do you mean sin can't account for that? That's the Christian explanation for that. Which is so ambiguous as to not actually tell you any information about the problem. It's just like... It people are sinful. That's what we're saying. People, people do bad. People do immoral. That's what we're saying. Almost like a heuristic, like if there is a problem, then it comes under original sin, but it doesn't tell you... Well depending on what you mean by problem uh the, and what i don't know under original sin I, I yeah i mean sin there's sin in the world sin what what you're calling bad we're calling sin and yeah i guess you're right insofar as like even natural disasters and disease and things like that 
I think go back to the sin of man. It doesn't make me a young earth creationist, by the way. Um, but okay, l- let's see where this goes. Anything about what to do about it, and everything just gets adapted and shoehorned into this problem of original sin christianity can't actually deal with these issues and what i hear you saying nathan is the answer that christians give for why bad stuff happens in the world is sin yes the atheist answer uh, like a, a worldview that would include atheism the answer would be because that's just stuff happening because that's the way the world is. It's not perfect. It's got really bad stuff in it. Okay. And you're saying, yeah, but Christianity doesn't tell you how to fix it. And I'm saying, neither does nature tell you how to fix it. It's just the way it is. That doesn't tell you how to fix it. What we would both have to do is say, okay, the world's messed up. I've got an explanation for why that is. You have an explanation for why that is. Now, how are we, what are we going to do to try and, and fix this, right? That's what we would do. So again, not a point for you, not a point for me, just a point. Now, if you wanted to roll it into an argument from evil, like an argument from pain and suffering, that sort of thing, we could talk about that. That would be an issue. The more I would say um, Christian theology actually teaches people that it's not about this life. It's about the next life. It's about storing your coin. No. No. Um, it's about both no no christian should say what happens in this life doesn't matter of course not what are you talking about i'm not trying to be mean nathan i'm just i've been doing this a long time now and i'm just getting tired (laughs) up in heaven um if you die you know if 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 this planet is destroyed even though you know some will say some will go with the whole um you know god gave us dominion over the planet whatever no, we should take care of the planet. Now, I will give you this. There are a lot of particularly American evangelicals who don't care as much about the environment as they should. And it's kind of like the atheists here who give us a one-star review, right, <laughs> on all of Christian thought, is basically what, you, what, what it's like is certain, and I'll use conservatives since I'm a conservative, like they're, they're so bothered about the absolute evil that is going on. It's going on on both sides of the party's to various degrees, but definitely going on on the liberal side of the party where we're killing babies and stuff. Um, th- so they're, they're so upset by that, that they that every single issue that the Republicans hold in America anyway, right? The Republicans hold. That's my position. That's what I think. So, so that it's across the board. And it, and Jesus is like wrapped up in the American flag with blonde hair and blue eyes. Right. That and and two Tommy guns because he's Second Amendment man, right? That's that so that even with something like the environment, where Christians should be championing the environment because we were told to the the thing that you just said about dominion, like the whole idea is that we would be the caretakers of the garden, right? That it's not we the Christians should should champion that. So I'm with you that we should care about that. In fact, there's a Christian motivation for that. Now on uh, naturalistic atheism, there's not necessarily a motivation. For that, except it's something you like to do Uh, and it wouldn't even benefit your survival. It might benefit the survival of the people that live after you. I guess it could benefit your survival, depending on how locally this is happening and how serious the pollution or whatever. But Christianity actually makes better sense of that. But I agree with you about 
Well, I, I think that along party line, everything's exactly one way. Every, everybody over there is dumb. Everybody over here is smart. That kind of thinking. Yeah, that's the kind of thinking that gives you one star answers like everything you just said is worthless and that sort of thing. But uh, the vast majority of Christians I talk to will be more along the lines of um, the, you know, the state of affairs on the planet are less important than whether people are going to heaven or hell or not, whether people are saved or not. Because that's the key impetus of Christianity. It's it's the next life. It's heaven or hell. It's yeah. I mean, it, heaven and hell is very important. Don't get me wrong. I do think that's very important, um, among the most important things. But here's the thing: a lot of Christians have apparently given you the impression, Nathan, and a lot of atheists that I listen to, that the gospel is about getting people into heaven so they don't go to hell. Well, that's an important thing that goes along with the gospel. Oh, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the gospel that I preached to you while I was yet with you, that he was dead, buried, and rose again, appeared to all these people, appeared to all those people. Yeah, that's part of the gospel too, a very important part of the gospel. But in general, the gospel, if you go back to like the beginning of Mark and look at the gospel, the gospel seems to be the best explanation of what the gospel is. The gospel just means good news. So there are various good newses, right? But the gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom has come. And along with that is people should want to be in the kingdom. And that means if you're in the kingdom, you don't go to hell, right? But that's not necessarily the only thing that's going on with the kingdom. The kingdom is the establishment of God's rule. And I want to be a part of that. And that means I should take care of the planet because yes, God's going to resurrect us. He's going to resurrect the planet, but I should want to take care of the physical um, natural aspect of God's kingdom. I, I just think there's some bad theology floating around. People's relationship to God. Um, and so I would say Christianity just doesn't really deal with um, basically most of those problems. Even um, It deals with them directly and actually teaches the proper motivation. Now, it may not tell you how to, in detail, uh, accomplish particular political advances or whatever it is you're trying to do to, to solve climate change and uh, solve economic upheaval and all those kind of things. It may not give you the level of detail you want, but it certainly presents the posture that you need to get through those things. Atheism is completely bankrupt on that. Any worldview that includes atheism is completely bankrupt on that because it doesn't give you any, because there is no objective morality. There is no moral motivation. I'm not saying that you don't act morally, I think don't make the Hitchens mistake of being corrected a thousand times and either intentionally or unintentionally never getting it. Atheists can act morally. Christians can act morally. Atheists can act immorally. Christians can act immorally. But without that foundation for objective morality, there's there's not there's no like um, ultimate motivation for that. I'd even say like um, Christianity is almost in complete bewilderment at how we deal with like facts about psychology which sort of push out the need for the spiritual warfare dimension which tell us you know like it's it's more it's way more important to understand psychology to exist as a person in the modern world where you're being buffered buffeted by um social media your phone um information advertisements um a, a job that takes up a bunch of time learning new things all the time like it's more important to be aware of psychological facts than if your narrative that you tell yourself is that like um, 
this is like spiritual warfare and uh, there's demons and angels speaking to you and stuff like that. Like that is not um, useful for being a human in the modern world either. So I would say that there is like a, a but- so he, he started off pretty good, but then I think he fell off of what we're doing here. So he's like saying, cause remember what we're trying to do is give me a fact about the way the world is that we agree about which worldview accounts for it best. And it seems like what I've gotten is problems with climate change, problems with economic stuff. But what he's doing is he's trying to say which worldview is most set up to solve that problem. That's not what we're saying. We disagree about your answer to that, but that's not what we're doing here. Um, And now here he says, well, psychology. I mean, I don't like that people believe in angels and demons, and that's not important. What's important is getting the psychology right and helping people with their problems and, and those kind of things and not presuming that it's spiritual warfare. Okay. People. Okay. If, if we're just saying psychology, which wh- give me a fact about the world that Christianity accounts for not as well as a naturalistic worldview psychology. Does Christianity account for psychology? Of course. Again, that's not a point for you. Okay. Well, but since we know that he's not actually answering that question that way, and again, maybe I wasn't clear. Uh, what is he saying that really doesn't directly have anything to do with what we're talking about here? But what is he saying? He's saying that, um, look, the modern world has this psych. It's important that people get their psychological stuff and mental health straightened out. And none of that spiritual supernatural stuff is helpful. Um, it seems like what he's doing is making the mistake that I think Drew, the genetically modified skeptic, was making in the video I responded the other day of thinking that we're all like um, there's a there's a book written by charismatics called Pigs in the Parlor, where these charismatic this charismatic couple like acted like everything from a headache to a toothache to whatever was demonic, like spiritual warfare. That's not how thinking Christians function. We don't think that way. Uh, go back and in fact, I'll just do this to save time when mental health and psychological stuff doesn't address the problem properly. There's nothing wrong with addressing a, the possibility of the spiritual health of the person. And in fact, a lot of psychologists make room for that and find it to be helpful. So I'm just going to point you to the video I did in response to genetically modified skeptic about the demonic and about all that kind of stuff there. Uh, let's just keep trucking. Shift stuff, um, to be honest, illness maybe as well, like um, praying away. Ill- and and I, again, you know, you're going to have to deal with all these. Um, like I, I get that, that the prayer studies are messed up because if he didn't bring up prayer studies, but they always bring up prayer studies to show that prayer doesn't work. Okay. Um, and every one of those prayer studies by organization get prayer wrong because if you're going to research whether a particular thing is real or not or is effective or not if you're going to be a researcher you you want to make sure you you make sure that everything is set up for proper research and you want to make sure you're following the prerequisites that say the new testament would give you for how prayer can be effective those prayer studies don't and can't uh, facilitate all of those things that New Testament says should be in place for prayer to be effective. So Nathan, it, it, it stinks, but to get that through, and I'm sorry, I don't make the rules to, to make this point, you're going to have to deal with the fact that you can walk into just about any group of individuals 
unless it's at an atheist convention, any random group of people of a hundred or more and ask them how many of you really think you have evidence, you've had a real answer to prayer with your health, with your relationship, with finances, like a real obvious, unlikely answer to prayer. Would you raise your hands? I've done this, by the way, Nathan. I've done it. Not just in churches. I've done it. You know what you'll get? A large number. Usually more than 50% will raise their hands. I've had a few times where it wasn't 50%. You're going to have to deal with all that stuff. You say, well, that's anecdotal. Okay. But Christians who live the Christian life for a long time, this is like the silliest thing because I know I'm not saying you're silly for asking the question. I get it or making the statement. But for those who have lived the Christian life for decades, we've seen extreme answered prayer. We've got videos on that on this channel. And so it's like, okay, prayer doesn't work. Yeah, okay. Because we've seen it. We've seen it work. I'm not trying to be condescending to you. We just know because we've experienced it. Well, that's personal experience. Yep. I'm not asking you to believe on the basis of that. I'm just saying, good luck convincing me on that one because I've, I, have, I have direct experience of it. But I get that that doesn't fly with you. And I get that you can't trust my experience in order to decide for yourself. Christians always have the get out that, you know, there's always the get out. But I just don't think it's biblical, to be honest. Um, What's not biblical? Something's not biblical. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Don't have much more to say on that. My rant I mean, has ended, fortunately for you, dear listener. That would point out atheism isn't a worldview. I'm talking about you, your worldview that includes atheism. I can't think of any. Christianity accounts for evil, suffering, the existence of other religions, including supernatural events in those other religions, science, and differences among different denominations of Christianity. But I can think of I mean, like naturalism accounts for all those things. Islam accounts for all those things. Hinduism accounts for all those things. Like being able to explain all of those things certainly isn't, um, you know, something that's something that it's got going for it. I don't know. Yeah. Of many things that the most common worldviews that include. Nathan, I understand that. <laughs> Accounts for better accounts for better. I understand that all these worldview and you know, I mean, Pine Creek, I know that he uh, famously deconverted because of Pine Creek's influence, but, and Pine Creek always says, yeah, Christian, the Muslims have answers. The Hindus have answers. Everybody's got answers. What are you going to say to a Muslim who's got answers? What are you going to say to? I'll run the same, the, the thing we're doing right now, how does your world, give me some things that your worldview doesn't account for, uh, accounts for that mine doesn't account for as well. And I'll show you things that my worldview accounts for that yours doesn't as well. I'll run that with a Muslim. I'll run that with a Hindu. I'll run that with anybody. Uh, it's, it's like, it's like, oh, they're all equally false. Surely you don't believe that. Surely you don't believe all religions are equally, like, like equally implausible, let's say. Maybe you do. I, if you do, I'm not sure the person who says that is ready for a serious conversation. He didn't say that, but I'm just saying, um, yeah, they've all got answers. I, you've got answers. I think all these people have answers. The question is not what are some things that you don't have answers for or that I don't have answers for. It's who, whose worldview accounts for these things the best. Answers them. Let's look at our answers. Which way seems more likely? 
Okay. All right, let's move on to the last group. And, and on the last group, really, I wish I could have given more time, but running out of time. But I do want you to see, again, some people who I don't consider to be a part of the new atheism, who I appreciate. This is Answers and Reason. Sort of like a, a, a answering 10 questions for atheists by Trinity Radio. Now, this guy, I've actually watched a couple of his videos before or seen videos that he's been included on. Uh, and I, I actually quite like him. I like the way he presents himself and conducts himself. And uh, uh, it, it's not the the normal um, theistic blather that you, you, you see. Uh, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not the normal theistic blather. Thank you. Thank you. I, I've been really excitable this episode. Thank you, Answers and Reason person on the left. <laughs> Does it give his name? Let me see. I, I don't see his name. Thank you, man on the left. I really appreciate that. That means a lot. Uh, and I appreciate that you appreciate how I conduct myself. Although maybe I've been too snarky on this video and you don't think so anymore. I don't know. Let's go. Um, in the same way that we, we like atheists who try and take a, a different angle, I like I like to see theists who aren't just saying the same stuff over and over again. <laughs> you hear that, atheists? This guy thinks I'm not saying the same stuff over and over again. These ones are quite honest. and Oh, and he's honest. Or these questions are honest. Thank you, man on the right. I like the man on the left and the man on the right. They're not filled with those same kind of, oh, I gotcha. Oh, you know, there are atheists in this list that said all I did was ask gotcha questions. Thank you. Or at least, no, they're, that at least I included gotcha questions. Thank you, man on the right. After Bit God exists kind of questions. No, uh, it was quite encouraging. That's a good question. I mean, I... I don't particularly think that there's anything in the atheistic worldview in the sense that he's speaking of it. Um, they can explain things that Christianity can't give an explanation for. But it's like you said, you can kind of give an explanation for anything using any worldview. The question is whether it's a an accurate description, an accurate accounting of the facts. Mm. Um so it's There's with me. Sorry, carry on. I was just going to say with me, there's actual faults within Christianity itself and within the concept of God that make me think that it doesn't explain the world as well as naturalism. Okay. So here's what they're, first of all, wonderful guys. I always love people who are nice to me. Whoops. I, I always love people who are nice to me, but um, these guys are saying, okay, look, or at least the guy on the right, I don't, I don't think necessarily there's anything that atheism accounts for that Christianity doesn't account for. I, I just don't believe in Christianity because I think there's other problems that we could talk about in a different argument. Okay, you don't believe in Christianity, but I love that this guy's like, yeah, they, they've got, I mean, they can account for these things. So what we've seen is I, uh, clearly I didn't explain it too terribly wrong. These guys got it more or less. The guys from crusade against ignorance got it. Um, I think rusty Walker kind of got it. So it seems like we've got a real difference between new atheism and just 
people who happen to be atheists or agnostic. And um, you can tell it by who gives the one-star reviews to the history of Christian thought and the evidences that we present. My advice, atheists, I mean, if you believe it, if you really believe that, then just keep giving those one-star reviews. My advice to people who are looking for someone to listen to, pay more attention to the two-star to four-star reviews. <laughs> That's my advice. Next time, we're going to go over question number two. And I look forward to meeting you then. If you've made it all the way to the end, consider subscribing to the channel and consider helping us and supporting us in responding to uh, skeptics on the internet and on YouTube by joining us and giving as little as you want at patreon.com slash Trinity Radio. You get all kinds of free stuff. Five seminary level courses with PowerPoint, um, eight hours a piece, and you get uh, eBooks for free that you'd have to pay for. Otherwise, over $100 it would cost you, but you're getting them all free here extra episodes that we've never released, all kinds of good stuff. And to all those that I responded to, hey, I love every one of you. Don't mean to upset you. We disagree. Big deal. It's not the end of the world. But I invite you to repent and believe the gospel. And I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.